right now, like, what are you guys seeing? We, we can talk about market statistics. We can talk about what, you know, the numbers are showing. That's a rear view look. And most of the time it's really lagging. What are you guys seeing in the development part of the industry? I am busier today than I have ever been. I have so many projects that are in the design phase and just as many that are in the estimating and about just as many that are getting ready to close. You know, inflation's the big word at the moment. And I was talking to a developer the other day and he told me, do you think inflation's going anywhere? And to be honest, I don't think it is. So it's probably only going to get more expensive to build. Self-storage is one of those industries that, yes, it might seem like it's recession resistant, but actually it's not that simple. There are a lot of market conditions and market factors that affect the profitability of a facility. For example, inflation, demand, interest rates, building costs. So welcome back to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. My name is Yen. I'm the producer here on the podcast. And today we have a very special episode lined up. Today we're talking with Melissa, who is a project manager over at Forge Building Company, as well as Hamish, who is the president of Forge Building Company. And these guys literally have the day-to-day updates on the market because they build and develop for self-storage. So if anybody's going to know what's going on in the market right now, it's these guys. Now, shout out to them because not only are they the special guests of this episode, they are also a regular sponsor here on the podcast. And we've asked them to come in and share a few insights on their world of development. I sat in on this conversation and there's just so much value here, guys. But anyways, let's jump right into this episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast, and I'm really excited about the podcast today because we actually get to do this in person and live. That is my favorite way to do it because we can have a real, natural, organic conversation, and it's just different when you're not on Zoom. It's hard to explain, but we are very lucky. You may remember uh, past podcast. It was, I don't know, it was like seven months ago. It was one of our most listened to podcast with Hamish from Forge. And today we have Melissa from Forge with us as well. Forge is one of the largest self-storage developers in the world. We've worked with you guys before. We're currently working with you. You are such an absolute, just, you have so much knowledge in this industry. You, you, you first tier markets, third tier markets, single story, multi-story. You're, you know, you've done projects everywhere. And I think a lot of people right now are nervous about development, particular with what's going on in the economy. Um, so before we dive into it though, Melissa, why don't we just start with you? Do you mind introducing yourself and uh, let us know, you know, what is your role at Forge? Fantastic. So um, as you said, my name is Melissa Anderson. I am with Forge Building Company. I'm an account manager over there. I've been with them since November. I've been in the construction industry for the last 20 years. And I have been able to have the privilege of working right alongside with Hamish and Hayden and learning the industry. And I would just have to say that I absolutely fell in love with the industry, the self-storage industry. And when you start working with people at Forge or with myself, yes, I can talk to you about the, the construction, the seal construction, but there's so much more that I can offer and the, the resources. And I take a lot into consideration when we start working down a project that it's not just basically, what's your plan, here's a proposal. We start talking uh, details about like, 
what is your market's um, demand? And what is your unit mix? How much can you build on your property? And we started talking about that design and that development aspect. And with that, I kind of walk people through the process, give them a proposal for the actual steel building. And then that's just a component of the process. Finish the project, they get their COO, and then they move on to their next project. Awesome. So, so all the way through. All the way yeah. through. That's amazing. Hamish? So my name is Hamish Bell, president of Forge Building Company. Um, my company specializes in the steel building system for self-storage. We've been selling buildings in Canada, Hawaii, and Alaska, and everywhere in between. Um, yeah, that's, that's what we do. Been a busy past 10 years, has it? <laughs> it has been, yeah. I've actually been in the industry since 99, but started Forge Building Company in 2007. So yeah, the last... The last few years have been a um, whole lot of different challenges through COVID that we've never seen before. Uh, but I think the company shaped up pretty well through, through some tough times. You guys are in your new headquarters now. We are, we've moved oh. into a new office. Um, we we're very proud of it, Hayden and I. And uh, we, we, we hope our employees enjoy it. And yeah, it's a, it's a good place to go to work. It's awesome. So, you know, I think the first thing everybody always is wanting to know um right now like what are you guys seeing we we can talk about market statistics we can talk about what you know the numbers are showing that's a rear view look and most of the time it's really lagging so anytime any of the major publications come out whether it's you know iss ssa self-storage omnac anything we're you know we're looking where we're talking self-storage and data it's really a rear view, and lots of times it's, it's, it's a little old. And we say old, meaning four months today is old. Yes. Like, it really is. Um, it was a different world just four or five months ago for most of the investors, self-storage operators, for the market for sure, and our outlook. So you guys have your fingers just absolutely on the pulse. What are you guys seeing in the development part of the industry? Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, we I am busier today than I have ever been. I have so many projects that are in the design phase and just as many that are in the estimating and about just as many that are getting ready to close. So that tells me that there's a very healthy pipeline of work coming in. Not to mention, I how many how many projects that we have on backlog? Is it like? Well, I think. I I don't know the number of projects, but I'm pretty sure it's over a hundred million dollar yes. backlog. Yes, so that's a hundred million dollars worth of work that we have not even started yet. Not to mention, you know, the the dozen or so projects that I have right on the cusp, and I'm just one of four four salespeople. Not to mention Hayden and Hamish, they have their book of business as well. So when you start looking at that, there is a lot of business that is just kind of out on the table right now. And I haven't seen any slowdown as far as people pulling back contracts or saying, no, I'm gonna wait, I'm not gonna do this quite yet, or I wanna see what happens with the steel. It's almost as if that we had a little tiny bit of a dip in the steel prices at the end of July, beginning of August. And that was almost enough to people say, you know what, I'm gonna do it now. I'm not gonna wait anymore. And that's just kind of what I've been, been seeing. I think a lot of people are, you know, inflation's the big word at the moment. And I was talking to a developer the other day and he told me, do you think inflation's going anywhere? And to be honest, I don't think it is. So it's probably only gonna get more expensive to build. 
So people are jumping in now on the stuff that they've got designed and ready to go, or that they're 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 in the they're in the they realise the longer they wait, it may get more expensive. So that's that crystal ball that I'd love to have a really good long look at. Yeah. <laughs> that I've never I've never actually seen it, but yeah. <laughs> well, it, I mean, I got to tell you, I I don't think we do not at all foresee a slowdown in inflation. I, I don't know how it's going to happen. You know, the Fed Chair Powell talked last week and he was pretty blunt. You know, he was like, nope, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to do it, which tells you they're not seeing a slowdown in inflation. They're saying we've risen rates, everything else, and it's not slowing down. So I, I think we, we have so much in the economy uh, capital that it, it's going to take a while and these are fundamental shifts right it's, it's it's not quickly it's not like oh if I wait till you know in two months to build maybe inflation will go down and I'll get better price they, I, we just yeah we're not seeing that and we haven't put anything on pause we haven't pulled it yeah. we're you know we're trying to get it out of the ground when I was at uh, C, uh, California Self Storage Association down um in California last month uh, you were there too okay yes. yeah you were there and they had all of the REITs up there and they were mm -hmm. talking on that panel yeah. and every single one of them said that they have no intention on stopping their development yeah. they're moving forward and to me that was a really good indicator that the market's going to continue to be, move forward yeah I well I think too we've had so many people that are leaving other real estate asset classes to come into storage yes. they actually view it as a better hedge because it is against mm -hmm. inflation right? Because you have more doors, you have month-to-month -month leases, so we can change prices immediately. So inflation goes up, goes down, we can quickly move. But also, I think the overall cost, and it's just more manageable in storage. And there's not as much risk or perceived risk, I think, that people feel. So they're fairly confident about this asset class still. And, mm -hmm. and I agree. I've seen, I, I, we've seen a pullback on like cap rates. Like we're starting to see acquisitions. No, that's changing, right? People's buyers and sellers are changing the way they're talking. We're changing the way the players are at the table. Um, but I haven't heard or seen that at all on the development front. Mm -hmm. Well, and I was just listening to a podcast today that a um, an investor or syndicator was talking about how investors are a lot more willing to invest in things like storage now because of how frothy and just competitive that multifamily and these other asset classes have become. So that's the other thing too. I mean, as a private equity company, it's one thing, but also what are your investors thinking and what are they willing to invest in and not invest in? Um, it's another side of the coin that, that we've got to consider and I think other people should too. Yeah, it's a so. capital move. It's, when I need to put my capital somewhere. Where are you gonna put it when Dow dropped a thousand points on Friday alone? It's like, everybody's just like, hey, I, I gotta get into something else. And I, storage is out there, but the price of storage today, you know, at those cap rates. So if, if I'm looking at an acquisition or a development and I'm sitting here going, I got to pay 200 plus bucks a square foot to acquire that asset. And I think vacancy is actually going to rise. And my money has gotten so much more expensive that that's not, it's, it's just not doable. Development looks a lot better in most of those cases because you're sitting here going, if I think that even in the storage outlook, which is almost counterintuitive, but if I think it's not gonna be as good, well, that, that means I can't pay as high of a price. 
So why buy it to 300 bucks a square foot when I can develop at 100? Right, mm -hmm. exactly. I was gonna say, I haven't, met, I haven't built many for two and $300 a foot. I would say that one of the number one things that I hear when I get new leads or new people that are looking for quotes is, I'm not new to investing, I'm not new to development, but I've never done self storage before. So there definitely is people moving over from the multifamily and from commercial. And the other thing that I hear them saying is, the one thing that is appealing and attractive to them is I don't have to deal with tenants yes. uh, in the same capacity. It's yeah. different. It's, it's different. not like someone yeah. living or working within that. It, it's an old storage saying, got no, got no toilets to yep. flush. Yes, exactly, exactly. exactly. And so they're interested and their, their curiosity is peaked because they have seen so much of, oh, this is a good return on my, uh, on money. And yeah. I need to put this in my asset portfolio and I don't have any. And, you know, how do I start? Where do I start? And they're just, they're like sponges. Yes. I love, I love when they're just, they're eager to learn. Well, and if you're underwriting inflation at 8% a year, you're right, my rents are gonna go up 8% a year. You know, all of a sudden, that's you know, real estate in lots of ways. Of course, this is a broad statement and it's not true, ever, but real estate generally benefits from Inflation. Mm -hmm. Rents will rise, but our largest expense is fixed, and that's the debt. And so that spread over a period of five years is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not very big if you have inflation at 1%, but when you have inflation at 5 plus percent, I mean, that's a one-year spread. Even at interest rates at 5%, you're like, yeah, but I get, I'll get 5 plus percent in increases a year on my gross revenue. It's uh, that stuff adds up, and people, you know, look at it. We're now developing. I didn't know, honestly, with interest rates, if it was going to hurt it or not. But it, there's a lot to like. Yeah, a and, lot to like. You know, we like uh, Hamish says often. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know yeah. if if there is that tipping point or that breaking point that if interest rates get to this rate, this level people are gonna dial back. But as of right now, and they know that it's yeah. it's going to happen, and I think that's almost creating a sense of urgency of yeah. I'm gonna close this and I'm gonna get this deal in because the rate's just gonna go up. Yeah. And if I can lock in my financing now, you know, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, well, and two, historically speaking, I mean, yes, five, six percent's high, but I was buying storage facilities at six, plus percent. So if I am, was doing it then, the fact that it's not 3% today, that really doesn't, I, I was doing it 10 years ago. I mean, exactly. it, it was like, it's, it's just not as big for people that have been in the game for a long time. If yeah. the deal works, you know, I often tell people like, are you buying it, you know, this interest, because interest rates have doubled. And I'm like, if a three, if a three point change, three percentage point change in interest rates, is enough for me to not do that deal. I should have never been doing it, yep. ever. I shouldn't have ever touched that deal to begin with. Well, and you've kind of touched on this too, where, I mean, it's it's not like it's a bad thing or something. It's it's just returning to some level of normalcy. Yes. You know, yeah. it's not this ridiculous, you know, free money anymore exactly. situation. Yeah. It's just a normal I mean, we, we could be in an normal. interest rate environment that's yeah. north of four forever. We may never go back down. And it, it seems weird after being there for so long, but historically speaking, 
that was a very mm -hmm. unique situation yeah. that we've never yeah. seen. We've right? never seen. So <laughs> 10 years it was crazy, but it wasn't. And um, you can't make that your overall decision. Now, what about, we, we talk about, you guys see the demand for building, you see right people coming in the door. What are you seeing right now as far as the overall cost? Because cost for a while there, it, it seemed like they were just out of control. Like after COVID, right? It was, who knows where steel was gonna go, where all the prices were gonna go. It was just like, they just kept going up and you talk, they've kind of leveled off. When you're talking to your guys' suppliers, your supply chains, is have we seen over the last three years these crazy ups? Or is there more stability or is it just? I believe there's more stability at the moment, um, definitely. We've seen increases from last year to this year on things like oil, you know, for the asphalt on the projects, that, that's increased. Uh, seen, seen a slight softening this year on, on steel. Labor's still a huge issue. Labor's tough to get. Um, the, the, there's, a, there's a labor shortage for sure. Um, we've always had the advantage of carrying big labor crews. So it's kind of how we've got around that um, on the steel building side of things. But, you know, I've dealt with site work companies, um, guys getting stuff out of the ground, concrete companies that are struggling to find labor to place their products. So, um, yeah, you know, I think that the oil's had an impact on pipes, all of the uh, infrastructure sort of stuff as well. Um, here in the valley locally, uh, we've got, Meta, uh, was it Meta, the Facebook guys coming to CUNA. Yeah. So I heard that's going to put a strain on um, the concrete. Uh, concrete's going to increase. So I don't know whether we're out of it yet, to be honest with you. Yeah. We see some things softening, some things increasing. Also, the industrial that's being built, that's going to um, eat up a lot of, a lot of uh, concrete. Yeah. I think joists, open web joists, which we don't use a lot of, luckily, they're still a long way out. Um, but yeah, so each product has a different cycle yeah. uh, uh, on, throughout this whole, this whole challenge. It's been the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm kind of curious with the labor shortages, where things are going to end up. Because we do have some of those companies, you know, like Amazon and these others that are doing mass layoffs and furloughs and these different things, getting rid of employees. And I'm kind of wondering if that's going to affect uh, the labor market at all. And then, too, like we're talking, some of these people pulling out of the multifamily developments and these other things, especially in super hot markets like what we've got here in the Boise area. You know, are we going to, is that going to make that? labor shortage uh, is that going to cool off a little bit we're going to find some some more labor to uh, kind of plug into our projects or i don't know again a crystal ball thing but something i think about you know it's just not today yeah, yeah. It, it hasn't yes. happened yeah. it hasn't affected the market today yeah like with even with the slowdown they're still working everybody's mm -hmm. still got those projects it's when those next ones don't start that you see it but i think you know everyone's busy today all right, guys, so whether we're building a storage facility or, you know, we've got a facility that we've owned for however long or we're acquiring a facility that's, you know, 30 years old, whatever that is, we're always looking 
for ways to increase value, right? We're looking for that value add. One of the best ways to do that is through Janus International. Their R3 program, which is essentially a rehabilitation program for self-storage facilities, <laughs> which is drastically needed in so many cases, right? Because these assets in a lot of cases are very old. They're, they're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old in some cases, whatever that looks like, and they need a major facelift. They need new doors. They need new roofs. They need new siding. They need new gates and technology. Janus International provides those solutions for you. Check out the link in the show notes. Bring up that value storage facility and get in touch with Janus International. If you guys are looking to purchase your first storage facility, you just might be looking at the SBA loan approach and one of the best and most efficient places to get your SBA from is going to be Live Oak Bank. These people know self-storage. They've been in the industry for a very long time. They're very knowledgeable. You don't have to educate them on the underwriting, on how you're, you're valuing self-storage, any of that. These guys are incredible at valuing self-storage. They know how to underwrite it, and they are a phenomenal solution for you and your financing needs in all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank. Now, we, where are you guys seeing do you see a trend at all in startups? So like where people's looking to start a development, is there any trend or is it just all over the board? The type of people? Like not type of people location wise. Like are you seeing more in the Sun Belt? Are you seeing or is it just pretty evenly spread? I mean, Texas is a really big market. You have a, basically if you look at all of the markets or all of the areas that have lots of growth, those kind of pair up with the growth in the self-storage where you have people moving you're going to have more self-storage so texas is seeing a big influx of people however you know you still have california that's developing quite a bit i think i think there's different areas in every state that have that heavy um, development in them and then you have people that are just I, I feel like just because of how many people i deal with that are brand new to the industry yeah they are looking for that perfect market. So whereas, and, and I haven't been in the industry as, as long as you and Hamish, but I imagine that the number of people that were looking for those sweet parcels or that perfect market has grown exponentially because yeah. now there's lots of people and not only that, but there's lots of resources for them to learn how to do it. Yes. So they're all looking there, you know, there's how many Facebook groups of people posting, like I have this for sale, I have this for sale. So everyone's looking for it, like, hey, can I make this happen? Can this be my next investment? Yeah. And when they find, and I hear this quite often, yeah, I'm not finding anything I can buy. I think my only option is to build. Yeah. So now they start looking for land. And the first question is, what should I be looking for in that land? So what should you be looking for? In my opinion, there's two different ways you can go about it. You can look at a location, like I wanna build somewhere close to me, so I'm gonna look in this tertiary or secondary markets. Okay, great, what is in demand? Because what is in demand is going to drive what kind of parcel. If you are in an area where your the big demand is RV and, and boat, you're gonna need a larger parcel because those dry vials are gonna eat up a lot of that real estate. Yeah. If you're in an area where climate control is in high demand, you might be able to go with a smaller parcel and build up. So that's one approach where you can actually find the location and the market you're interested in and find what you can build. The other avenue is let's say you don't care where it is as long as it's a good market. I'm really interested in building boat and RV canopies. Okay, 
what makes a what what are the attributes of a good market for that well you're going to want somewhere that's close to water so start looking at those cities or those towns that are near water do some market research where is there a low square foot per capita in those different areas then find that that parcel of land where is it the least expensive because if you're going to build boat and rv storage you're going to have to have a larger parcel you're going to want the land to be less expensive or where they're building the subdivisions where they don't let you park anything outside of them and that's the and that's the other the other part like if you see that there's like in boise there's tons of new homes now you need to look like are these starter homes because people that are going into starter homes probably aren't going to have boats and rvs so then you need to look at the, the subdivision. Oh, these are like people that are moving into your, these are upgrade homes. These are their second homes. Okay, now we're gonna need to have some boat and RV storage near these facilities. And what we've actually seen um, here in the Boise Valley is some of these residential developers are making a part of their parcel, their land, their development, they're marketing it for self-storage. They're like, we have the land, yeah. let's get in on this too. And so they're branching off and they have their own little piece of the pie. That was something we saw a lot prior to 08. Like I remember a lot of the facilities that we purchased were from developers that weren't storage developers. They added it on to the neighborhood of the homes to use land that was either not the best suited for the homes and they were like, we can get more price per square foot on this land that we can't sell for lots, something like that. We saw a lot of that. We bought a lot of facilities from guys that uh, were doing that. Well, if you think about it, it's a it's a amenity. You have yeah. the clubhouse and the pool. What if there's a subdivision that offers boat and RV storage or yeah. s- self storage? Yeah, that is in in some developments. Um, I have another one that I'm working with where it's a you know the RV resort is on one side and the self storage is on the other. They paired up really nice together. Mm. Yeah. Back to your question about uh, the hot markets, what you're seeing. Yeah. I like to say uh, all, all of the states that don't have an income tax, they seem to be, like you said, Texas, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there's Florida. Florida. There's, yeah, there's, there's a few of them that perform pretty well because of that, you know, political stance that those state, states are taking. Yeah, that makes sense. Great migrations seem to be continuing. It's, uh, I was wondering, you know, how things were going to either slow down, turn around or whatnot, but that the states that have been growing, it, that's just a trend that it may go up and down a little, but it just doesn't seem to be stopping. Um, in fact, it's almost like compounding on itself because the more people that move there, the more amenities they get, the more that hear it from other people and they keep going from other states. And self-storage, you're right, that's how you capitalize on it. It's mm. where people are moving. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at the product, product coming out on the market, have you seen a change in that? Have you seen what is the product that you're seeing in high demand? I mean, you know, on projects like we're working on together, we're changing up some of the ways we're doing things. Like we're building much bigger, but it's not the same type. We're offering different things, you know, with it. And so we're building bigger complexes, but we're adding in RV, we're adding in boat, we're adding in multi-story, we're adding in you know climate a lot control. of climate controlled, it's yeah. drive up, contractor storage, right? We're doing Big 200 units. plus thousand square feet in one pop. Um, we made a pretty dramatic shift in our mode of thinking, underwriting, and how we look. Are you seeing that some people are moving more towards one type 
or like multi-story or is it single story boat RV? Have you seen any change it's at all? It's broad to me. Yeah, it, it's, really. it's market driven. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it really comes back down to what does the market need? And you're going to make a good business decision and build what the market needs. Yes. Now, it you all... You hope they do. Yes. You hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the goal. Yes, that that's the, the goal. goal. I always say to, the, to, a, to a new person that I'm talking to, what's your business plan? Yes. You know, is it yes. is it boat and RV? Is it climate control? Is it multi-story? Is it what what is it that you want to do? And you wouldn't believe that half of them don't have. They're like, uh, what do you what do you recommend? I don't know. Right. Yeah, like, right. what do you, what I do recommend you think send me build? a blank check and yeah. uh, exactly, <laughs> and I'll tell you when it's finished. Uh, exactly. <laughs> You're hundred percent right. I've talked to people that got done building a storage facility. I'm like, oh, why'd you pick this location? Well, my dad had the land, and I didn't want to build apartments. Okay. That, uh, that's that an happens. interesting mode. Yeah, you know, like, I own the land. I yeah. mean, that's a big piece of the the uh, expense already taken care of. Yeah. And I was I was going to say sometimes if that's the case where you own the land, the land may dictate a little bit what you build. Yes. So let's say you have a, a parcel and there's a steep grade on it. Yeah. Well, you may go with a buy level, an over under building. Yeah. Um, because you can capitalize on having a vertical build but not have an elevator. So. Yeah. If you if you have a small parcel of land and there is a demand for climate control, you may build up. Mm -hmm. No, that was perfect what you said, Hamish, on on having a business plan because I was going to ask you guys, with people coming in, these new folks into the industry, like what do you see that they miss a lot of? And that business plan, like you said, that's a huge one that obviously we all see. So yeah, I think um, a business plan part of it. Uh, assembling the, the right team is part of it. But, you know, there's there's lots of professionals out there that don't specialize in self-storage, but because it's self-storage, if I had a dollar for every time someone's told me it's just self-storage, it's know. just self-storage. It's just self-storage. Yeah. It's just yeah, oh, it, and no. it's, there's a little bit more to it. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that's not why not everybody does it, but that's probably the biggest mistakes I've seen is that when they don't go to the professionals that have a catalog of building the stuff. You know, that's, there's lots of guys out, lots of general contractors, they'll say, yeah, we've, we've done one or two of them, but they're not gonna know the intricacies of every different type of it that you've walked into, uh, conversions, but you know, we're doing a big conversion for you guys right now. Yep. There's, every time we do something, turn a corner, there's something different something in different. there. Yeah. Well, and yeah. even on, on that one, I mean, we went into it and one of our plans on that second floor, you know, you guys came in, you're like, you know, you're doing this totally wrong. We need to redo this. We need to change the way this is going to work. And it was crazy. It saved like a half a million dollars because you guys value engineered and something that we didn't even need to do. And we were putting it in. And one of the things that, you know, we've really learned is self-storage is so specific that you see people or they, they either don't think, or they, they go for price. So I'm gonna go find cheap contractors because it's just storage. And we've had those people try to sell us their facility. And we literally, we're not gonna buy this. Okay, well, how much would you buy it for? No, you don't understand. We're not gonna buy this. You built it wrong and I can't change that. You didn't build lips up, this is gonna flood. You like, there's problems in this thing that I would have to rip up to try to change. Now, you may have saved 20%, but you lost millions because you did it wrong, and now its value has been completely undermined in ways that lots of times we just can't change. Yeah, I have a customer of mine that he basically says to anyone here in the Valley, 
If they've built it, I'll buy it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know who he is. Yes. Uh-huh. 100%. Because yeah. it's like you just, we, we, we see it all the time. We've even, you know, we bought huge facilities. Oh, like that one right there. We had expanded. We had to do, you know, huge expansion on that. But I don't know how many buildings are on that first row. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or whatnot. Eight. I think half of those eight buildings were five by fives. We're like, why did you build 300 five by fives in a rural area with no multifamily? And they're like, it worked better on the spreadsheet because of five by five, I got more revenue per square foot. They were, what, I don't even remember now, it was like 50% occupied. They couldn't pay their bills. They couldn't do anything else. We bought it. We changed the units. We went and ripped out the walls, right? We turned all the five by fives into 10 by 10s, 10 by 20s. And six months later, we were 95% full and we more than quadrupled the value. Again, they were building, getting, building to that market, yeah, building, the building to the market. Demand. And yeah. it was like, what, what, why? Who didn't someone tell you? Didn't somebody work with you, right? But they saved money on <laughs> their work. And, and the performer looked better. Yeah, and yeah. the performer looked good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And markets don't care about performance. The um, steel building system that, that we have, me and Hayden have developed for, for self-storage is only used for self-storage. You can't use it for any other type of build. Mm-hmm. It, it's basically uh, value engineered for whether it's single story, multi-story, it's specifically for self-storage. Very tr- tough to retrofit a self-storage building because it's we're going in with a value engineered design for self-storage. So it's broken into 10 foot increments mm-hmm. or, or whatever that works out to be, but typically a 10 foot, 10 by five increment um, building. Well, and you guys have done this as a lot of people that moved in and like, we do storage, right? You're storage people. We're storage people, that's all we do. And when you take the approach that you have us and others where it's like, this is a complex business, let's really focus on it and let's build the business out around this, this product type, everything else. The results, and I think this is why lots of people are keying in, and they're like, I'll just do this asset class, because the results are staggering. I mean, even with us, that this is all we do, you know, on our large development that we're, you know, working on with you guys um, in uh, Arizona, well, we get, whether it's the architects, it doesn't matter who, we want, like, the best. And we need to look at this from all angles. Every unit we need to think about, it needs to be changed, it needs to be worked around. Um, because those little things uh, have a massive impact on that revenue. And not knowing those things and going into it, you know, with this idea, once again, of, that it's just storage, you're going to make mistakes that you didn't even know existed, and nor did the people building it, because they thought, well, we do office, I do this, right, I do this. And I can build anything. I've built everything. Uh, I built everything. Yep, but, but, I built uh, everything. but I've never built a self-storage. Never should, built be, a should be easy. Yes. <laughs> How hard can it be? How hard yeah. can, How can it, it be? be? Well, exactly. so much of this goes back to, you know, you're, we're kind of touching on this whole idea of, you know, saving a buck or whatever, going with somebody who's cheaper or whatever that looks like. But uh, so much of development is, isn't about saving a buck. It's about managing risk. And so much more of the focus in development should be shifted to managing the risk. Well, one of the best ways to do that on all fronts is, like we're talking about here, getting those experts in, like you guys, to come in, value engineer, to build it, to do you know everything that you guys do. Well, like you were just talking about with like slabs being the same grade as the asphalt, 
And uh, you know, having that's actually a really common issue from what I understand with civil engineers that have never done this asset class before. Um, and just those little tiny things, and it, like you said, totally destroys the asset. People aren't gonna buy it. You're not gonna be able to exit. I mean, it creates a slew of, of issues. And again, shift that focus, in my opinion, to more of risk management mitigation as opposed to cost. And yes. again, to a certain degree, yes, they're kind of one and the same, but how can you manage and, and mitigate risk? Well, we, we're revenue first. And when, like, when we sit down with, whether it's you guys, architects, everything else, we start with the revenue. The costs come later, mm-hmm. but we manage risk through managing revenue. Yeah. How do we optimize, right, occupancy and price per square foot? The goal is to fill it up at the highest uh, price per square foot we can. After that, we'll talk about rep- we'll talk about the cost. But I will never take something cheaper at the sacrifice for the ability to get higher revenue at a higher occupancy. Because if I get higher revenue and higher occupancy, the cost, relatively speaking, don't doesn't matter, right? Because then it's like the amount you're saving is more than made up on that revenue side. And that increases the overall value. Now, I'm not saying run away with cost or anything else like that, but no professionals, we don't do that. Like nobody does, right? We're obviously cost conscious because we know that there's a break even point. We know that there's a margin, but that is dictated by the revenue, not by the cost. Right. So uh, my break even point in my profit isn't dictated by the fact that I saved a million dollars. Has nothing to do with that because it's all relative to how much I can make. You're gonna make a million dollars. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love it when I'm bidding against a qualified competitor because then cost does come into, into account. Mm-hmm. But I know that it's an even playing field because I'm going up against a qualified competitor. Mm-hmm. So that's, that to me is, uh, that's what I like to hear. But when I hear these, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny's got to pick up in a dog and, and yeah. a couple of ladders and screw guns and you know that that's when it uh that's when that's not a qualified competitor yeah. and so that's when i'm like well yeah i'm probably not going to be able to compete with that yeah. well and i i had this very conversation with a customer uh, about two weeks ago we're talking about a dollar 50 a square foot mm-hmm. and i was like you know we're we're about where we can come down on the price yeah. i've got to put this back in your court however i want you to keep in mind these are some of the risks that you may occur or may happen if you go with someone that could beat my price by a dollar fifty and when you start adding up some of those risks i'm like you you may have to deal with this and so they're like oh oh okay yeah well and so many people and we've seen this forever in storage the cost was the driver and now i need to make sure we're it's very important cost is obviously super important especially in today's age because if we can't hit we, we've had tons of markets that we just walked away from that three years ago we were gonna do but then once the cost of materials we had to walk away from it because it didn't make sense um, but the idea was our move away point was driven by the revenue right the cost was the trigger point that allowed it to not be done so then we shifted so then it was like okay hey, I know this won't work because I don't want to just skimp on cost 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 let's f- shift our focus to Where's the revenue points that have such a wide margin that in an environment of cost rising that may not be in my control, I'm not going to get stuck in three years. So we developed a line that said over this point, cost would have to increase by an exponential amount to where we would get into big trouble. Anything that we thought, um, I'm going to save a buck fifty, 
but in a three-year building process, you could have any one item could go up more than that in that right. three years. Exactly. So all of a sudden it was like, this, it doesn't make sense to even look at it that way. We got a total aggregate of cost. Prices fluctuate. We need to look at land. I need to look at the individual line items, the major ones like steel, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I need to look at that as a package, figure out a variable and cost that I'm willing to accept given the market and the revenue potential. Because things change so fast today. Have it you been seeing any rent wars? Huh? Have you been seeing any rent wars where you've got competing competing yeah. facilities? I've seen it pretty yeah. drastically that went from you know, good rental returns to then they went, something new opened up and it was it was it turned into a bit of a battle. Yep, so we're it, seeing it, that. It drove some developments that were close in that neighborhood, you know, to yeah. hold fire for sure because um, they're waiting for the battle to get over and both people stabilize. Yes. And then, and then um, yeah, then it might be a good time to go in because depending on vacancy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Seeing that a lot as new facilities come up. Well, yeah, that's another thing that surprises me and I'd like to know from you guys, you hear when people come in, I talk to so many people that are looking at building and I'm like, okay, well, um, what's the vacancy on the marketplace? And they're like, oh, everybody's full. And I'm like, that's not what I asked. What's the vacancy on the marketplace? And what inventory is coming onto the market? They have no idea, no. none whatsoever. They don't know what units, how much space is open. They don't know if new space is coming in. And some of these people, we're talking about a market that has 500,000 or 200,000 square feet of storage and they're building 100,000 square feet. And I'm like, you realize that if somebody else is at the same time building a storage facility at 100,000 square feet, you just doubled the square footage on the market. That happens. I've seen that happen. Can, can the market support it? Exactly. Can the market support it? Or are you going to have a and bunch of vacant, yes. empty units? And they haven't even thought through that. And that's, I'm like, you know, that's a big, big danger. And, you know, as you guys know, it, it, it's demand. It, it's demand. And, uh, you know, building, that's the number one most important thing. Do you, do you, is that a common thing that people even know how to look for? Do you walk through that with a lot of people? I would say that when we were talking about what is the one thing that we see the most of, and it's really people not understanding the value of a market feasibility study. And they are wanting to pinch pennies and, oh, well, I don't want, I'm, I'm in a due diligence period. My money's in escrow right now. I don't want to spend $3,500 or $5,000 on a market feasibility study. And it just blows me away that yeah. I'm like, you're you're so worried about this, you know, $5,000 or whatever the case is. But that market feasibility study is going to tell you so much information yeah. about whether or not this is going to be a successful project or, no. man, you have a lot of red flags here. Can you can you still get by if you, this happens, this happens and this happens? Is it still a good project or a good deal? And they just the other thing I see is that people just get so invested and they're like, I want to do it. And they plant their flag and I'm going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to be able to walk away. Now, walk I don't away. want that. Yes. You know, as the steel builder, the last thing I really want is for someone to turn turn away from a project and then I, I don't have a project to, to sell. But I also, I genuinely want people to succeed. Yeah. And if something they're working on isn't going to make sense and they're not going to make money on it at the end of the day, I'm okay if they're like, you know what, I had to turn change direction and we're going to go look for a different parcel. 
And to me, that is somebody that I want to work with because they have good business sense. Yes. And nine times out of 10, if they're successful, they're coming back as a repeat customer exactly. anyway. Exactly. Yeah, they're coming Absolutely. back. Once they get that successful one, they're coming back yeah. as a repeat customer. Well, and I tell, like when we're working with third party people, I'm like, I want to know why it won't succeed, not why it will. If I'm coming to you to build something, it's because I already think it's going to succeed. You need to tell me why it won't, mm -hmm. right? And I value that above everything else. Because what you're saying is, hey, AJ, I'm going to save you millions of dollars and not be in financial trouble or ruin. Not here. Guess what I'm going to say? Awesome. Next parcel, I'm coming to you. Right. Because you'll keep me out of trouble. Where we, can, where we can find it, you know, yeah. but you have to bring us into the process. Yes. And that is where, you know, bring us in early in the game. Because yes. if you wait until everything's designed, you have your structural drawings, everything's done, and you bring the these plans to us and we look at them and go, oh, well, if we build it this way, it's going to cost you this much money. Can we provide you with a different option? Well, sure, I'd love to. Well, that does mean we're going to have to redo all of your structural drawings. Yep. So now you have to redo your work. You're losing time mm -hmm. because right. it takes time to put those structural drawings together and it's going to cost more. So just bring in the subject matter experts in the beginning in that design phase because they are going to help guide you and make good decisions in that planning part of your project. That's probably the most important thing you could do. We've definitely learned that. Like before we even start anything on our projects that we do today, like we want everybody at the table. You know, when we were doing this large one or where it's this other large one, you're like, okay, we need everybody together here. You need to be talking to the civil. We need to be talking to the architects. We need to be talking with the city. We need to talk to the builder. We need to talk. Everybody needs to be in this together. Mm -hmm. And we need to be executing and not having one person execute only to realize there was problems on the other end, but they never talked. Also, when you're in new markets like uh, Arizona, for instance, right? If you're, gonna, if you're gonna take someone there that hasn't built in that market, you've yeah. got to expect some, uh, you've got to expect some sort of learning curve. 100%. Um, yeah, so you know, we, we, we do have markets we won't go into because of that. Yeah. Uh, what markets? It would be more of like, uh, Eastern Seaboard sort of stuff, Miami, because of the hurricane stuff down there. Yeah. Uh, New York, just because of anywhere that's um, anywhere like that is the majority of them, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. New York is tricky. You have a lot of union and a lot of regulation. It just makes it harder to develop. Yeah. So typically you'll see somebody that's already building in that area that knows how to do it, how to yes. get through the loopholes, who the people are. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're not yeah. building in that area, you don't know. And well. it's kind of like you're an outsider then. One of the best ways to optimize management and to increase the value of your self-storage facility is through property management. And that means you're going to need really good property management software. That's where Tenant Inc. comes in. These guys have a huge amount of tools at your fingertips that you guys can deploy and put into motion to extract the maximum amount of value and deploy the maximum amount of value at your storage facility. Again, this is Tenant Inc. Be sure to check them out. They're all things property management. It's truly your one-stop shop. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. Mm -hmm. that, that speaks a lot to you guys that you're saying, listen, I don't know that market. I'm, you can't pay me to go into it because I won't do the best job. I may make mistakes, everything else. That's what I want to hear. 
I don't mm -hmm. want to hear, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll figure it out. I don't want you to figure it out. I want you to know. <laughs> yeah, right? like, exactly. <laughs> well, we just kind of had a similar conversation with, uh, with Ryan, who was just on the podcast, because he's you know, developing down in California. And I mean, yeah. we touched on that same exact thing where it's like, cool, man, you have fun down there in yeah. California. We're, we, we're not going to go. There. We don't understand this. We don't understand <laughs> yeah. that market. Uh, I don't understand how, you know, it's like, it's foreign and we shouldn't be doing something, right, that we're out. That's just. Or you, you bring somebody alongside that knows that market. 100%. Like if you want to go into it, if we really wanted to go into New York, we're going to, hey, let's go find somebody to bring onto yes. our team that really understands how to do that. That can do it. Exactly. Now, talk to me about timing and time frames in developments, because this is a big issue for a lot of people. Um, you know, there's all these components to go into it. You know, we've been struggling with timeframes on our developments nothing to do with uh, you guys and what you're on, it's mostly city driven. But I think the one thing that the most common thing I see people get wrong is they do not understand the timing of it all and how much goes into it, what phases there are. Could you just walk us through the process and expectations? So like what from start, okay, I found a piece of land. Right. So my first question would be, do you own it? Yeah. <laughs> And then is it, uh, is it allowed use, self-storage? If it's not an allowed use, then you can start the next step a million different ways, whether you've got, it, whether you've got to go through um, city council, design review, rezoning. The, the, it really, the whole entitlement. It, yeah, process. the whole entitlement process can start from many different, the easiest way to do it is to get zoned correctly and it'd be an allowed use. And that's going to look different in every jurisdiction. There yeah. could be one jurisdiction that's like, yeah, my uncle works over at the uh -huh. planning and zoning, and we're just going to cross this R out and put a C. It's now yeah. commercial. Yep. You know, easy peasy. Others are not. They, yeah. they may not want it. They may have to go through an entire process to get everybody on board, and it may have to be voted. Voted by city councils, uh, you know, uh, master plans. They Okay makes sense but our master plan that we adopted two years ago doesn't make sense to that yep. so <laughs> and you know try and change a master plan you can't do spot zoning in most places most places mm -hmm. um but yeah so you have that piece anything with your with the jurisdictions the city or the county are just unknowns the permitting mm -hmm. or the zoning so let's take that piece out of the puzzle for a moment and let's just talk about you have your piece of property it's been zoned They've said, yes, you can build self-storage on this facility. Now you need, in most situations, they're gonna want like some kind of site layout. They're gonna want some kind of design approval. They'll go through that. This is where, if you have a lot of complexity in what the city is requiring or the county is requiring, that is when it's really helpful to have an architect that is kind of like your person that deals with this municipality. If it's something that is simple, like you're just adding on to your facility, or I'm just putting two, two buildings up or something along those lines, you may be able to handle it yourself. You go through this process, you have been given the green light, yes, your design looks good, what's your next steps? So there's two different ways you can go about it. You can say, I want a GC or a construction management company to handle everything. Yeah. And they're just gonna hand it over and say, okay, you're gonna take lead on this. 
a lot of times, and a lot of these smaller investors or first timers, they're trying to save money. They're not doing large scale projects. Anything that is, you know, really big, you know, talking like two or three million dollar development is like, whoa, I can't do that. So they're gonna try to do it themselves, which if, if it's a smaller project, they can. So in that case, we usually come into the, the discussion and we start doing a proposal for the metal building piece. Yeah. If it is gonna go the route where they're gonna have a GC, you're gonna start doing what I put into, I put it into two different phases. You have pre-construction and you have construction. That pre-construction work is the um, putting together your construction packet or your drawings. You're gonna have your civil, your architectural, your structural, is there landscaping, is there MEP? It's basically putting together all of those documents and working with all the key players or that are going to. Yes, per, yeah. the, your ultimate goal is you're trying to get to a permitting phase. Yes. So you're working. Forge comes in. We're, we're a structural engineer, or we work in the structural engineer services. Uh, we provide that piece to the design. Everyone's working together. It gets permitted. Great. Once it's permitted, then you have this set of construction docs that you can actually provide to all the subs to get pricing. One of the things that I see is so many people are like, yeah, can you just give me a rough number? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, give me a rough number. I'm like, well, what are you, what are you building? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm like, yeah. how deep are we digging? Right? Like, like digging are, is it a multi-story? Social media, anything else? Like, so what are you, what price per square foot are, uh, does it cost to build? And I'm like, holy cow, how, like, um, I'm 30, to $200 a square foot, there you go. Right? I'm like, I, I, it's just like, I can't even begin to. It's a broad question, so you gotta yeah. get a broad answer. Right. Uh -huh. And the same thing, they're like, well, how much, you know, if they, that's just the seal contractor. If they're saying that same question to the concrete person, how much do you think it's gonna be for concrete? How much do you think it's gonna be for electrical? And you're not providing them with plans, they don't understand what your scope is. Yeah. And how can you really provide a budgetary number when you don't know what the scope is? This is such a good point because I've, I've seen this issue too where people wanna have a number before they have construction drawings and, and plans that can actually go out to bid, where it's like, yeah, we can get some rough numbers on like certain types of, um, you know, units, whether it's temperature control or RV buildings, like we can get some kind of rough idea what that might be. But yeah, until we've got construction drawings that you're actually getting out to bid, like you have no idea. Yeah, we, we give ranges, you know, we, we general contract here locally in the valley. We give ranges on what, what, what we build, but finishes, type of site, there's so many, you know, roadways, there's so many services, all the, all the utilities that you bring into the site. There's so many that vary it. So it is a broad stroke somewhere between here and here um and I mean, same, with the, same with the middle buildings i mean if you're building on sloped versus yep. not if you're climate controlled multi-story do you have wetlands yeah. have, have you done have you and done a land survey floor. yeah <laughs> or uh you know lines you got to move for flood zones yeah. or whatever i mean we, we don't do anything like that. No, we, yeah, we, we, we pick simple projects yeah. we, don't, we, we don't buy <laughs> old buildings and like, <laughs> so that that takes that takes some time so yeah. But if you're not gonna go the GC route, you may only have a concrete, an electrician, and, and forge, or somebody yeah. like us. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah. So it, it really depends on the complexity of the project and how involved the, the owner or the person that is running the project wants to be. Goes back to their business plan. Yeah, it goes back to their business yeah. plan. How, how, how well do they wanna be in it? There's people, and I hear this, well, I want a turnkey project. I'm like, 
What is what is turnkey mean to you? What does turnkey mean to you? You know, t- tell me more about this turnkey project. Yeah. Well, I just want you guys to you know put up the building. Oh well, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you you want to start from like start to finish pre-construction. I want you to do the gates. I want you to do the software, the marketing, the third party. Whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's. So the time frame in the cities too. You talking? You, went, oh, okay. you started on with, off with time frame. Yeah. Um, what I've noticed is in every jurisdiction, no matter where we're permitting, no matter what we're doing, even the small, smaller, smaller spots, you know, I think there was a, um, there was not a lot of work being done during COVID, not a lot of review done. Uh, and then also the amount of work that's in the market right now. So there's, so there was that time that wasn't done and then there's all a flood of the, the amount of work that's there. So it's just. Obviously, a backlog. a backlog of work. Long. Oh, and those staffing issues we were touching that on. Staffing, Another for sure. Issue for cities. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, now. So it's a, that's a, that's, yeah. That's I, a I little, mean, the permitting, the entitle, so when you look at the entitlement phase, I mean, you're talking anything from six months to two years. Yeah. Um, if no. it's not already zoned. Yes, and it's not given. already zoned. It, like, you got to go through the whole entitlement process. Um, now, let's say, Entitlement's done, your zone, and um, design review has been approved. You guys are stepping in. Their building is going to start. You got permit. Yeah, you got, you got permit. permit. At permit, you're ready to go. What is, in general right now, the time length that you see? I'm going to break it down into two parts to make this easy. Let's talk single story, right, flat plot of land. Um, what's generally a time frame in which storages are being built for single story, drive up, doors, office in the front? It really depends on the size of the project. Yeah. You know, we've got, we've got a project we're about to start that's over 200,000 square feet that I think we've slated 16 months for yeah. to build. And then we've got um, smaller than, we've got some multi, a multi-story coming that's, um, I think it's 12 to 14 months and it's only about 80,000 square feet, but there's a lot more detail in it, a lot more, more restrictive on the site. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's really dependent on what you're building. But so you're, you're, you're talking though for, you know, 60 plus a- average time frame probably a year. a year yeah yeah 12, yeah. 12 months that's that's I think generally is pretty what we reasonable. plan we yeah. say listen it's going to be a year and and then you know i keep hearing these i go back to them but everyone deals with them in construction right now there's horror stories on getting it you know just that one-off thing that you didn't think was going to be that hard to get i've heard electrical panels are, are going to be a long backlog on those here coming up soon whether that's true or not we'll, we will see um, storefront and glass is taking a long time to acquire. Um, we, we really struggle with our roll-up doors, like getting roll-up doors. That that time frame is a, is probably in the steel building system. If we've got the doors included, that would be one of the longest time frames. How long are you seeing for doors right now? I thought it was like around the twelve week mark. Yeah, yeah. that's about. Is I that mean, through Janice. No, we we go through another uh, company. Janice, Janice, DBCI. We have used Janice. We use Steel Blue. They came into the market, and we've been really excited. Talk to me about the difference in the steel thing. This is a a huge piece of this, right? I mean, so just real quick to touch on the entitlements. We're talking six months a year. The actual building part, uh, about a year. But um, on the steel piece, because this is storage, 
steals it. Big chunk of, big chunk of the building. Big chunk of this, right? Yes. So the steel landscape has vastly changed in the last five years. Um, what is, where is that landscape at today? Who are the providers? Where are they at? How's that look when we're dealing with the steel market for storage, right? The manufacturing, the providing the doors, everything else. So the, the, the main manufacturers are still the main ones as always been. They're the big national companies that um, have got multiple plants nationwide that service us because we, it's regional. There's a trucking shortage, you're paying more for, for fuel. So it's not the cost of the steel, they're all pretty on par. It's the cost of getting it there that can, can be the difference. That's why we're building right next to a manufacturing uh, <laughs> facility. So that's the only reason we just wanted to save on gas. Yeah, there, there, there you go. So, so a lot of the time it, it, um, it's which plant is closest to the, to the facility that, we, that will supply it the best. You know, which relationship have we, do we have at that time that is best as well? We've, um, that changes as well. You know, how's our service been? A lot of the time too, um, the decisions get made on lead times. Yeah. on the manufacturing of the products so okay this guy can get it here in 12 weeks this guy can do it in six weeks we're going to make the six week decision depending yeah. on the schedule of the project yeah. so that's a that's a moving target okay. from when we acquire you know that, that we take all of those things into consideration now so. that steel market got crazy last couple of years have you seen um, as far as availability, is it easing up? Are we seeing more still coming to the market, allowing, or are those supply chains, are they still pretty constrained? So we were put on allocations uh, back in 2001. Yeah. That, so we're off allocations now, so I can buy as much as I want. Okay. Um, so that's eased up. That was, that was odd and something I'd never ever dealt with in my career of buying a lot of steel was being put on an allocation. Yeah. Um, I think it was 200 tons a month there for, for, for a minute. And um, that's when we had to, you know, find different options and, and work out what that, you know, maybe one month we weren't gonna do the 200, the next month we were. So it was, it was a lot of juggling involved and it was, I think it was pretty unforeseen for everybody. You know, everyone, yes. I always have customers say to me, well, I'm looking at the steel futures and they're going down. And I say to them, well, if the steel futures are so great, why didn't they predict it going up? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, 100%. Right. So, yeah. And uh, two, by the way, I saw steel prices drop. So is, did my price drop? Yeah. Like, well, that's not quite how it works. Right, but and really trying to explain uh -huh. that. Inventory you know, they bought it at this uh, more yes, expensive yeah. <laughs> rate. We have to get through that material. Yes. <laughs> Inventory has a big on play <laughs> on what is, you know, at that day-to-day -day purchase price. Yeah. So. Now, one of the things that we, that we will do is if we've proposed the project, let's say, three months ago, and the customers are saying, hey, we've seen a decrease, we've seen a decrease, can you run our numbers again? We'll run the proposal again at the current steel prices. Yeah. Now... It may be up, it may be down. Yeah. We've had it, at, you know, if it was bid, let's say uh, we did the proposal back in April. Yeah. It's about where we are now. We had it come 
um, it went up a little bit and then it came back down so it's about the same yeah. but if we did a proposal let's say in the middle of june that was when it was really high so from june to now it may actually be a little lower and so it's it really is a little bit of fluctuation and it may it may just be a little percent it may be three percent five percent but sometimes when you're looking at that larger amount of steel it could make a a difference it may be a fifty thousand could be just a couple thousand depends on the size of the project so now before we wrap this up here real quick you guys are going to be on generous with your time i want to talk a little bit about the product has changed so much since when we were in it early 2000s things like that drive up we've seen quality the people that are in it change expectations from customers change and this is broadly location centric right um it's it's funny one of the things that you know we look and tell people like oh yeah i can get a premium for climate controlled and i'm like well hold on where because I know lots of places that even though climate control is way better because the conditions are so bad, they have so much climate control that drive up is now a premium over climate controlled. That was unthinkable eight years ago. Well, that's probably convenience driving that, right? Yeah, they need something they can drive up and, and use. And so we're seeing that in broad base markets where they built so much multi-story climate controlled that the price per square foot for a drive up unit is higher than a climate controlled unit. And um, that, that just, that's such a big change from anything we would have ever thought of a long time ago, especially climate well, uh, energy. Do you remember here in the, in the valley, it wasn't that long ago that, why are we doing climate control? You know, oh, yeah. and, that, and that whole market's actually changed now. Yeah. Everybody's putting climate control. Yeah. I mean, when we put it into, uh, you know, our Franklin Road facility, and it was like a lower, the way the upper floor, everything, and everybody was telling us, like, Dude, people don't buy climate controlled here. Like, why are you putting that in? Like, I can't tell you how many times we were told that. And we're like, but that's why we're putting it in, because nobody has it. <laughs> in our five mile radius, there was zero, none in one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. And uh, we put it in, three months filled up. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it's changed. Now us, the reason we're very customer centric and we're like, well, yeah, but the people that are using it are from Southern California, you say, but anyways. Um, <laughs> now, when we look at these changes, are you, what are you guys seeing in the landscape of product? What are you seeing that is working good? We have automation, we have keyless technology, we have, you know, all of the stuff that has happened in the last five years. I think it's probably been the most innovative stuff, the access control. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and and then the management, yes. um, you know, really the now there's farming. contactless management. Yep. Yep. Just because of COVID, right? It, dro yep. it, it drove that to be a little bit um, more innovative. So um, that on the building side of things, hasn't changed a lot, to be honest with you. I keep hearing that um, there's a code change coming, so I'm going to be able to build a four-story out of cold form steel uh, like we used to be able to when I started 20 years ago. We used to be able to build a four-story out of cold form steel um, where right now, today, majority of the, the, the cities that are, they're 
they're making you we can do a basement with three floors but you can't do four floors without fire rating each of the structural walls on on the ground floor of that four store four story building so that would be a nice innovative change that we could go yeah four stories more economically than we can do right today yeah mm-hmm. that would be a very welcome yep. change that would be and I've heard that there we've heard stories of it's I believe it's in the IBC 2022 yeah. um, but you have to wait for that municipality or that jurisdiction to adopt right. that code some of them are still on 2015 so everybody listen to this make sure you work with ISS and SSA get everybody out in the works <laughs> right? Push right. That. you can provide the, that look here it is but then you've got someone to make a decision. Okay, I'm going to adopt that part of the code. Yeah. When I'm, we're adopting every other part of the code out of here. It's, so it's, yeah. They get to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That. So that will be a nice innovative change. Well, it's actually going back to the way it was. Yeah. More, more than yes. innovative. So. Yeah. Now, we, if, another thing too, real quick. Isn't it true that the the pound per square foot in self storage is like the highest of commercial real estate assets? Uh, I don't know about other assets, but I know it's high. That's for yeah. sure. It's higher than a than a um, a car park parking garage. Yeah, yeah, parking garage. Definitely higher than almost three times as high as a parking garage. Which is shocking because yeah. you think it's storage, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, we've had so many projects that we had to walk away from because the we we could not do it on the other floors because it just didn't ever meet the requirements. It's every single time we would have had to change the engineering of the building to be able to support on the floors up when we were looking at conversions, other things like that. And that just shocked me. I'm like, wait, you can do multifamily. I can do parking garages. I can, but I can't do people's junk. And uh, they're like, nope. Yeah, no, that shocked me the first time I found it out too. I questioned it, talked to my engineers and they were like, yeah, that's for real. You can well, you can park a thousand cars on that floor, but you can't put a thousand cardboard boxes on it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you guys kind of touched on some of the things that you guys offer. You know, structural engineering, layouts, different things. Like, just give us a rundown all in house. What do you guys offer product wise when people are coming to you for direction for your services? What all do you guys offer? So, uh, as I mentioned, we do the complementary site layout. And so that's using, if you have a unit mix, you do have to bring us with some sort of like a general concept, a site map and what your unit mix is gonna be. And we will work with you and put together a layout that you can actually take to the municipality and get design approval. So that's a complimentary service that we provide. We also do the structural engineering. We build, uh, we purchase the materials for the mini storage or or self storage. We also offer PEMB and that's pre-engineered metal buildings. And so those are, those are using um, the, the hot rolled steel. And, clear span buildings. Yeah, clear span yeah. buildings. Uh, we're seeing a, hu- a big uptick in those as well. And mm-hmm. so that is uh, another branch. And then here in the, the Treasure Valley, we do offer full GC services for self-storage projects. Ground up, yeah. We self-perform the labor of the steel building, so we have uh, 150 plus field employees that that are trained to erect our building system. Um, that set, separates us a, apart from some of our competitors. Um, puts a little bit more control back in our court, For sure. not relying on subcontractors. 
um, and them also specializing in our system so they know the way we want things done they know the way uh, we expect them done and it's a one point of contact mm -hmm. for the end user the customer yeah. with the design supply and erect um, so yeah we uh, we've got um, you know, our general contracting portfolio is growing here locally. We're actually doing one out of state in Seattle um, for 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 a close close um, almost a um, almost a partner. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then um, the rest of it is here in the valley. We've gone to Twin Falls and Rupert, so that's a couple of times. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Edges all stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So we've general contracted a couple down there. Um, so. We're, we're slowly growing that part of the business. Yeah. Um, you know, we partner with, we've got some good nationwide partner general contractors that um, when they are out of town, yeah. that, that they represent our brand pretty well. So we can make connections if it's something that we can't do. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Now, how many storage facilities have you built? Oh man. Over that's 500. A, that's a, yeah, that's a, I think it's over 500. It's over 500. It's millions and millions of square feet. It's all 60, I've ever done over since. Over 60 million square feet. It's all I've ever done since, um, when when did I come here? In November uh, 99. Hopped off the plane and started building them. <laughs> this is <laughs> and, it. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, one day this has got to slow down. <laughs> and it, it just kept going. It's kept on going. It's kept on growing. Started out doing the labor, just erecting someone else's building system. And then me and my partner, both Hayden, both started in the field erecting other people's building systems. We put our own building system together. And so we are, we've done every single job in the field that, uh, you know, I've, I've screwed the screws, I've drilled the holes, I've swept the floors, I've insulated, I've roofed, um, done every part of that. So I've, I've, I don't think I've forgotten that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Well, now... Um, anybody that's interested, uh, would they just reach out to you, Melissa? Is that how, like, if somebody wants to know more, can they do that? Absolutely. Where should we send people? Absolutely. So um, they can reach out to the website. It's uh, forgebuildings with an S dot com. There's a request for a quote in there, and you can just put my name in some one of those those notations or yeah. one of those fields, and it'll get to me. Or you can just give that on our website. There's a phone number there. It just goes right to our office. You can just uh, give me a call there. Yep, and I'm I'm still accepting calls and emails as well. <laughs> Good for you, man. Good for you. In the trenches. That's right. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you guys for your your time today. Thank you for your knowledge. Uh, appreciate it. A lot of the stuff too that Forge is doing, a lot of projects that everybody has seen that we're doing, um, you'll see a lot more of Forge's stuff because they've been, uh, you know, we, we work with them because of not just their expertise, but flexibility because we tend to do innovative projects. We like to buy things and do things that are a little unusual sometimes. And um, that is a big important piece. Of so on the Statesman, as well as others that I know everybody watches and wants to see, whether it's on YouTube and everything. We're about to stick a shovel it. in the ground there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, yeah, exactly. right. I know. So, thank you guys for your time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. We appreciate yeah, thank it. You. Thank it's you. It's always fun to be back in awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. 
Development is no small feat, guys, and I hope this episode provided some insight into the current market conditions. We actually did a short video over on AJ's uh, Instagram account the other day talking about the Federal Reserve's raising interest rates again. Um, and there was a question here saying they raised interest rates in July. When is the next raise? Um, well, the next raise is actually scheduled for later this month, September of 2022. If you're listening from the future, hello, future. They're talking about raising it another 75 to 100 basis points. And I'm just like, wow. And don't forget, guys, we have our self-storage income live event coming up here very, very soon. So if you haven't signed up or if you like to come and meet the team, meet AJ and Connor and Brian. Brian's actually going to be on next week's podcast so stay tuned for that he's talking all things acquisitions but i'll leave a link to the event information in the show notes it's september 20th through the 23rd up in Coeur d'Alene, idaho it's so beautiful there but thanks for listening everyone if you come to the event i'll see you there